0: hello and welcome everyone to another edition of champions of inspiration uh boy we could do a series of shows with this gentleman uh he is uh, got a mechanical engineering degree that started from the from an institute of technology in india an ms degree in aeronautics from california institute of technology a phd uh in aero, astrodynamics and control from UCLA, then studied in law school at the University of West Los Angeles, and has been a member of the California Bar since 1986, and then just done all sorts of stuff beyond that. Mohan Onada, thank you for joining us
1: here today. Thanks a lot, Scott. It was a pleasure talking to you. And we, the last session was, uh, I mean, I enjoyed and All my friends and people saw that. They were you know, very, very happy to, you know, have that, that conversation.
0: Well, it's amazing because you've done so many different things. And today we want to focus a little bit more on the autobiography of an immigrant, your book, but even that has got so much content. It's so juicy. And so what was the, I know one of the things that you talk about is taking great ideas and taking them to the other side of the world and and seeing if you can make them thrive there. Where did you even come up
1: with a thought like that? Uh, I mean, most of the things are a kind of uh, it happened. It's not really that planned. Uh, When I came from India, uh, I was very much uh, interested in really get the best education you can get. I, I, I mean, I was a good student. In fact, I applied, you know, those days, this is, we are talking about 1967. 1967, or that timeframe, the India was still kind of very restrictive uh, from a, uh, people going outside and also taking any money with them. The only amount of cash you can get to take it outside, $8, I mean, it may sound almost, impossible to believe but that's uh, that's unless I- I- anything you want you have to go to the reserve bank of india and get the permission and it is almost impossible to get the permission the only reason i came here because i had a scholarship so the the, the i came to caltech uh, in pasadena so they uh, gave me the scholarship so because of that i didn't need to worry about the the financial aspect so that's how i came but i did apply to Four universities in U.S. and one in Canada. Canada is McGill, uh, and four here are very good schools: Caltech, Stanford, uh, MIT, and Harvard. I mean, four schools. So, because I didn't know that, I could those, those aren't bad schools, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, but I decided to come to Caltech because. Southern California, the, the, the better weather. That was the real motivation. In addition to that, there was a, a book I used in my undergraduate school written by two authors, who teachers at Caltech, uh, Littman and Roscoe in, uh, in gas dynamics. So I, you know, when I saw I got admission. So it's it's the best time to go and meet with them and talk to them and spend time in person. So that was one of the motivations. I just want to give you that background. And well,
0: it, it's absolutely, uh, like I say, it's so interesting that just even the table of contents of this book is so rich. And, and you talk about teaching as the best way to learn. How did you, you know, pursue that to to go along with this path of all this education that you were off to get?
1: Yes, the the reason is teaching is the best word to learn is a a very important to me in the sense, not as a teacher in a a university or a school or that I have not had that job, even though I, I, I had opportunities to get it, but I did not take it. Whenever I was a student, even in my undergraduate school, what I used to do, you know, I, I was a good student. That's, the, that's probably the reason. Students will come to me and ask uh, questions, you know, how to solve this problem or how to do this. So I started automatically becoming a teacher to them. Teacher to them in the sense, I will solve the problem or a more like a, 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 a tutor in mm-hmm. some extent. So that really made me a better student or a better you know I, because when when you teach somebody you have to prepare much more than you're just learning. So that really helped me and in fact I, and when I was in you know in colleges here as well as when I was in law school, I became a student to my fellow I mean the teacher to my fellow students because in law school as you know the the way the, the cases are solved, there is a fact pattern will come. And then you have to look at the, the facts and analyze it and look at the case law and some rather connect the case law with the facts. Every day I was discussing with my fellow students, like almost like a tutor. And that really helped me to understand and, uh, and even for preparing for the bar exam and things like that. So uh, a, in my opinion, a best student is a, some more rather become a best teacher first, then you become, that's just my way of thinking. And it has helped me throughout my life.
0: No, I mean, that's fascinating. And, and I totally, um, I agree with you. Uh, you know, I, I truly don't believe there's any failures. I was talking about this on a live I did earlier today. I don't believe there are any failures. I believe there are a lot of learning lessons. And I think there are a lot of things that you can learn through observation as you do things, um, but I think a, a big part of that, it, you're right. It, those who teach uh, tend to solidify the information uh, so much better. In they, they addition
1: a- to that, that there's interesting thing. Like I used to teach, meaning periodically as a guest teacher to small schools. I mean, in the you know uh, junior high or high school, even you know. Uh, uh, like a young classes, third grade, fourth grade, and just as a visiting uh, teacher. I was amazed the, 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 the ability of the students to ask, the, especially younger they are, they are totally uh, uninhibited. They will ask the right questions. And in many occasions that has helped me to, to teach myself to respond to them. I mean, so that's a, that's a very, very interesting experience I had. So I enjoy going. And in fact, when I go to these schools, I teach about religion because I come from Hindu religion. So they want to know. And in one class, actually, uh, I think I've said this before, but it's interesting. I was teaching, maybe it's fourth grade or fifth grade. I wasn't sure. Um, uh, they were all intrigued by, because this is a Christian school it's mostly it's like actual supported by the christian in mm-hmm. uh, but th- then i i, I uh, was talking about hindu religion and what the hindu religion stands for and how it is you know some something kind of that type of conversation then one girl young girl <laughs> stood up and uh, asked a question she asked just uh, very casually you know, I am so intrigued by the Hindu religion. I want to become a a Hindu. How do I do that? See, she asked that question. That was, I I was taken back. I said, "Hmm, you know, my approach is, you're a a Christian, aren't you? If you believe in your Christian values and you live according to the Christian, whatever the, the, you know, important things, you are a Hindu, then you are already a Hindu. So because the Hindu religion doesn't distinguish between Christian religion or any other religion, if you believe and you do the right thing, then you are already, so you don't need to uh, become a Hindu. I just gave that answer and she was really thrilled and all the the boys and girls in the club. The reason I'm telling, it's such a wonderful experience talking to the young children and I enjoyed that very much.
0: I mean, it's a, it's a great answer, and it's a, uh, it's a thought-provoking answer as well. I mean, what a, what a um, again, to, to get that kind of input at a younger age, to be able to then think through that, that it's kind of fascinating to me. Uh, a, again, like I say, as I go through the, even the, the table of contents for the books, uh, and we've never talked about this, but it, it just caught my eye, the day that Bobby Kennedy was shot.
1: That was an accidental uh, uh, kind. I mean, accidental in my part because I was student. I was. It's nineteen sixty-eight. I can remember the day. I mean, throughout my life, I, I can never forget because I was as uh, uh, yes, a student was kind of some or rather uh, intrigued by his personality, and uh, you know. Uh, so I worked with their, uh, you know. Election because there was a, a, uh-huh. a, an election going on in California. It was in the month of June, so I used to go to some houses and you know give uh, pamphlets for you know Bobby Kennedy's thing. So uh, the, the the finally, you know it it, uh, it it so happened he you know he won the California, and there was a a, a function at uh, the, the I think it was a. Uh, Biltmore Hotel or you know in, in Los Angeles it's uh, not far from where I lived so we went to I I was invited because as a worker I mean a, a young student uh, so we went there and uh, it was almost like maybe 20 feet from home it's packed packed. to uh, home. so sitting there and he gave a wonderful speech I, I, I can still remember the the content in the sense it's you know he's looking for the I mean he the, once he um wins california he'll get the nomination and if he gets nomination there is a high probability he'll be the next president so uh, so we were all very happy and you know it's then he gave a, a very nice speech thanking people like us meaning the workers and uh, you know then as he started walking down i walked out obviously you with know, me all of us and went into my car and i was sitting in the but it's, it's uh, the parking lot was packed with cars and because it's everybody is trying to leave so i was almost ready to leave um, then i got i got this news uh, on the radio uh, that he's shot i mean that was like a, a shocking i mean it, uh, i just saw him maybe 3 minutes or five minutes before, then of wow. I like, stopped the car and then back and see whether we can, I mean, nothing can be done, but it was like a, you know, there is a total confusion, all the police, and I mean, that's huh. a very interesting personal experience, so I thought I, I just wanted to share with my readers. Well,
0: I think it's, again, you've got such an interesting background, and we could we can do a complete series on this because of all the different things you've done. So, then you, while you were at Cal Poly, was that where the you started working on the GPS and the no. and those no, no. systems, or I, was that after?
1: Yeah, that's later. That after Caltech, I went and joined uh, uh, JPL. JPL is Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which we were primarily involved the uh, interplanetary uh, missions mars mission viking voyager uh, you know there are ma- missions to mars venus to various places and i was more involved in the because my my interest is uh, looking for gravitational fields meaning coming up with a, a, a theory and in fact i worked with uh, one of the very famous gentlemen, Carl Sagan, and we were on the same team. So on the same research team and Carl Sagan is very, very well known as an example. So I was Mm -hmm. doing mostly abstract science or theoretical science. I mean, of course, it all will have some applications because he was looking for how the formation of the earth or geophysical stuff. And I was looking, Universal, I mean, you know, of course, not solving like uh, astrophysics or any of those problems, but uh, providing information which you can get from going to various parts of the, the, our planetary universe you know, space. Uh, then I left there because I was actually recruited to another company called Aerospace Corporation, which is a think tank for the U- US Air Force. The reason they brought me there because of my space background, they were in the initial thinking of this GPS. So I came in and started actually working on the design, the architecture of the, the GPS, and that's the, it's, it's the, you know, uh, it, then of course it became one of the most valuable projects in the, in the country. And it was actually a weapon system. If you know, it was more like a, a, a force and, and, and for enhancement system. So it's that like, if you have the right uh, navigational tool, then uh, you don't need that many weapons because you can go and hit the target. Get much more
0: precise. But there is a
1: catch though. If if you reduce your number of weapon systems based on GPS, if GPS is eliminated, then you are in back big trouble. (laughs) So there is this survivability of GPS became a, a major uh, project, I was given that task to make sure the GPS survivability is, uh, you know, there. There are two basic uh, survivability issues. Issue one is the whether or not uh, this link, this signal, signal will be uh, secure, meaning because you can do, one of the things they can do, you can, Uh, launch a nuclear weapon in the upper atmosphere that will, uh, you know, kind of destroy the signal to the extent that you cannot have closure. Anytime anytime a GPS, you need the link closure. And uh, that's called electromagnetic pulse. I mean, it's all technical stuff, but those things will create. So one of the things we had to do and some of the details are classified, so I couldn't say, but to how do you survive that threat? It's not a, 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 a you know, theoretical stuff because there were, we were there at that time, the Soviet Union, we were in a cold war and there is always, we do this, uh, how do you survive a nuclear attack? And how do you hit back? All those studies were going on, but now the GPS became a very, very important aspect of the, or force effectiveness. So we we had to come up with that scheme. And uh, I was, I would say, I was, I contributed uh, to that thing. And we went and verified it. I, I just to give you that, how we verify. verified. I went to actually a place called uh, uh, in Norway, Tromsø. Tromsø is, uh, it's very, it's over 70 degree latitude. I'll tell you why it did also. And we also went to near the Southern Pole but not real that South, we went to Adelaide in Australia. Adelaide is a, a nice town. I mean, both Tromso and Adelaide are beautiful towns. Right? I, I stayed almost a month in both places, do this test. The test is, we take the GPS signal, and instead of, of course, we can't put a nuclear bomb at <laughs> mm. but we created this, uh, um, uh, you know, helium, uh, you know, balloons and it will go and it will mimic a, a, a scintillation at, at electromagnetic points So that means that the, the signal will not get, you know, can't link it unless right. you have the, the correct way of doing it. So we did that test because if it is near the pole, what happens many, many satellites can see at the same time or, or more often so we did the same thing from north and uh, south poles and we tested and uh, we approved that it will work and of course that's a, just a validation but thank god so far no nuclear attack and it never hopefully will happen but at least we knew that that signal is uh available
0: Again, I think it's fascinating that that's part of your experience. You know, you come from immigrating to the United States to, to going to school, to learning, to having all these possibilities. And then, I mean, you've been, a I guess, a serial entrepreneur would be at least a one description. And uh, so how do you go from designing systems like that to then starting companies? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Designing companies. How do, you, how
1: do you make that move? That is that okay, in my life. Actually, I, I want to give you there are three stages in my professional life. Stage one, I'm more like a, a, an abstract scientist or very theoretical. I mean, you know, I've done this GPS, of course, sure. out of that product, which I believe that is my probably the most valuable contribution to mankind in my mind so that's a, a stage one stage two I became a lawyer I became a lawyer and I practiced law in fact I've been practicing now close to 30 plus years and uh, I have uh, contributed you know in some way but it's mostly raising money for the uh, companies or you know things of that sure. type. or you know it's more like a uh, Advisory position with the technology. And I also have the background of uh, intellectual property. And so I did a lot of IP work. That's the second stage. The third stage is the entrepreneurial stage. The reason I went into entrepreneurial is because I think, uh, at least I thought, if you want to really make an impact to the society, you can, you know, of course, you know, work for companies and become very, you know, successful or provide. But a, a, a contribution in the sense, it's not just for wealth creation. Wealth creation is important, but more than that, uh, you have some interest and in see whether you can reach that destination. That uh-huh. path is uh, through entrepreneurship, and I thought I have certain abilities, I can do it, that's the transformation I took place, and it is continuing, I mean, that's now, I am in that third phase of my, and now I've become not only doing things myself, I become an advisor, mentor to other, uh, you know, very uh, inspirational, you know, people.
0: And you've started organizations, obviously, started and saw the uh, development growth and everything of stamps.com sure. fascinating story we we I last time. Uh, you know uh, from the the fact that nobody would fund you so that you had to fund yourself all the way to a tw- an exit 25 years later of significant billions of dollars congratulations and now you are creating, organizations that are looking to invest in others to help lift them up so how did you know how do you go from obviously a successful company like stampscom and everything that you did there now into this next stage of looking to fund and lift other companies up correct okay
1: actually even at the time I, I you know when I I uh, Took a stamps public and raised money and supported, you know, during that phase of growth. I also had another opportunity of taking a company public, which is Investnet. Investnet is still on New York Stock Exchange, very successful company in the in the financial technology space. Then I also took a, a, a formed a venture firm since you brought up the, how do you invest? Sure. We bought, bought a, a, created a venture firm and took that company public in, in London Stock Exchange. So that's, uh, that is primarily to invest in other companies. And what I uh, was involved, uh, of course, with other people, this is not just me alone. The sure. Team. Uh, we 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 go and uh, talk to various uh, up-and-coming startup companies, and see whether we can invest in it. So, we, in fact, I, this, is, this was done in in London, and our headquarters was in in Guernsey in uh, Channel Islands in
0: Very nice
1: here, England, because of tax reasons. Uh, then we used to go. There used to be a, a, a thing or first Tuesday of the month. Every first Tuesday of the month, somewhere in Europe either in Paris or Berlin or, you know, Amsterdam or wherever, uh, they will have this get together between investors and the the, the presenters or the potential uh, companies. So we used to go, I used to go quite a lot of, that's why I used to travel so much. But uh, then we picked up one company out of, at least I picked up one company to invest. Uh, And we invested. And in fact, that's a company from, Canada. And the company's uh, name is Aram Auctions. Aram Auction is a very interesting company. Where they they auction expensive cars.
0: Oh, very Aram nice. Cars.
1: In fact, they have every August, they have a show in Carmel. And I used to go there. And you know, of course, the rich and famous will come so you can kind of see them. And some of the cars are. Mind-boggling, really. In fact, one car was owned by, I mean, it was auctioned off uh, for $39 million. Uh, uh, This was owned by Hitler. Wow. 1939 Mercedes-Benz. It's almost like a cigar-shaped car. The only reason how it came, it different people handed it, some or other it came to US. And the only thing it is all verification is the the document, the, the paper going with it. Sure. So that was actually auctioned off. Uh, a friend of mine had it in his garage and then auctioned off at, uh, uh, for 39 million. So th- that uh, company, then I was there uh, with that on the board for about five or six years, then I left. And that company was now bought by Sotheby. Sotheby owns it. It's called Sotheby RM Auctions, as an example. The reason I brought it up, so I have some experience in investing in companies. or not you know my own funds but part of it but it's my sure. funds so that was a, an interesting experience which gave me the, the thought process of how people would invest investing is a it's it's, a, it's an art also it's not you can't just go because when you invest in wrong company you know <laughs> that's a, doesn't work well Bad thing to do. So, but subsequently, I, I of course, in the recent years, in the, we we have this called SPAC, which I we talked about last time, the special purpose acquisition company, which is really not a, like a venture firm, but there is some closeness to it. It's but you are going and selling you as a team, not a company. It's a it's a blank check. You're selling it to the the investors, saying, I am good. I you give me the, my money or your money, and I will find the best. we we'll find the right spot. Right path. So that path that was the 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 how it uh, you know. Right now I'm into the Spac world or I'm doing this, and I think I've learned a lot. I mean, you know, the best thing you learn is by doing.
0: You know? Yes.
1: The just reading. So I mean, of course, you can read and learn, but by actual executing or implementing and going through the whole then you know the all the, the difficult parts so that is the best way of learning so i'm in that process right now
0: that's awesome so as an immigrant what's next for the united states what's going on where do you see this whole thing going and and what lessons do you want to continue to pass along
1: Yes, I think it's that is a tough question. That's a really
0: because well, we're going to have them. Let's have a tough question.
1: And I see today. I mean, of course, today we are in a, in a kind of a in a bad situation with what is happening in Ukraine and what Russians are going into and uh, I the thinking of a possible uh, conflict like that. And you know, of course, my relationship with the Department of Defense and I worked uh, many many years trying to save America from any kind of a, you know, such disasters. But now, now we are kind of looking at the possibility of repetition of what happened in the late 30s or 40s uh, in a second world war period. I hope it doesn't become a third world war. So that's a, that's a fear. I mean, as we speak, it's happening yeah. today. It's very hard to believe. We, we just went through the the pandemic, or we are going through still, but this becomes, uh, you know, added. Uh, you know, I don't know how like young children or people in Ukraine will be going through their mental agony. Uh, you know, war is uh, whether it is right or wrong. That's the wrong way to s- solve the problem. People should sit down and talk about it. But anyway, I I have no way of <laughs> you no, know I- do anything to that. But the reason I'm saying in America. America's strength in my opinion is really because everyone most of it, other than local indigenous people everybody came from somewhere else yeah everybody is really an immigrant either this time or many generations ago people came in fact when Italians came uh, they they were thought to be a, a, you know outsiders but they now of course they are all born and raised and several generations of italians are here i mean you know, i mean i like italian food in fact i go to italy more often and I, that's like almost my second country so that's the reason i just don't but the immigration is a, is a best thing here mm-hmm. me i came actually as i told you earlier as a student i was really planning to go back I mean, you know, go back to my, because that's where my family, my, you know, kind of roots. But then I saw the opportunities here is an amazing because you can not only achieve things, you can contribute. And this okay. is like, a, and as yes, I in my book, I said, the world is shrinking. So it's, it's really, you know, of course, if you look at it, those days when I came in order to get them, you know some com- communication the phone you have to reserve you what they call you have to make a trunk call and trunk call you have to i mean the you know phone system in india was not that good so it's almost very difficult to get talk to them so if you write a letter it'll take 15 days to go there wow. <laughs> and another 15 days to but today everything is instantaneous I mean, you know, for most of the people use what's called WhatsApp. WhatsApp is—you yeah. can immediately you are there. I mean, you know, so the things have progressed. So world is, it's really really small. So immigrants, when they come here, the best generally, the best and most you know hardworking people come. So they contribute. That's how the economy and of course the U.S. is the. I mean, I've traveled all over the world, most places. When I come back home, I feel back home. When I see LAX airport, Los Angeles airport, I feel good. This is the best place. (laughs) So America is still the best place to, to, you know, if you, of course, you have to do everything, come to America with the legally, with all the, the, the right approach. But I think we should encourage bringing the right people, then the country will grow. Uh, you know, as we have done it. So that's my my way of thinking about immigration.
0: Yeah, no, I think it, I totally agree with you and, and what a great guide, the autobiography of an immigrant okay. to be the guide on how to become, become successful by coming to the United States and then just doing all these amazing things. <laughs>
1: I mean, you you get the opportunity to do. I'm not saying that in other countries you can't do it, but here... It's much easier. The bureaucracy, I come from India. India is a you know, great place. There are a lot of great, but Indian bureaucracy is is amazing. You have to go through many, even just to get a, a, a birth certificate process to go through and get it, it's it's very, very cumbersome because we've kind of inherited most of our bureaucracy from the British. And British used to be really bureaucratic, but now Britain is less bureaucratic than India. India became more bureaucratic. But here the the, the process like if you want to start a company here, you can start right now in a minute. Yeah. India. You have to go through all kind of paperwork and all, I mean, you have a lot of requirements to meet so that itself is a, you know, deterrence. People don't have, I mean, it is becoming better. No question about it, but here it's so easy. Everything is, I mean, if you have to do some homework. You have to do research and make sure you follow through the process. It's uh, like, for example, this pack thing, I, Uh, I did not know much about SPAC because I didn't do, but I did some research. Then I said, maybe I should do it. Then I talked to, uh, you know, obviously you have to bring the right team together. I talked to the people and they were all very willing and ready to participate in my this journey. And uh, so I put the best team together. And I think I last time I told you when we went on a road show and after the road show, we were raising money and we were going for 200 million. I had a close billion dollar on the table. So I could have picked up any amount of money. In fact, my banker told me, do you want to appraise your thing? I said, we talked, thought about it, discussed among ourselves and said, no, we don't need, and there is a over allotment of 15%. So we just got that 30 million, to 230. So, so the, the reason I'm saying, which country can do these things? Yeah. That's the, <laughs> I'm asking. So, I mean, I mean, of course you have to, it's not that everybody can do, but if you make that effort, you go through that process, it's there. Absolutely. So I mean, Absolutely. I, I don't think in if I were say in India or if I were in England or some other country, that process will not be that easy. I mean, I you never know what I could do, but there is no comparison in my mind. Yeah, so still the best country the, in the, the
0: greatest, world. greatest country in the world, for sure. Absolutely. Well, hard to believe, but we've run
1: through our time. So Mohan, thank well, you for joining Before doing... we close, I want to make Go right one. Ahead. one one small, it's maybe, a, maybe only a few minutes, one minute or so. would be fine. You see, I have been always admirer of, as you probably know, the, the great scientist. And uh, Einstein, of course, I am, you know, very a student of physics. Uh, I, I've done some work in that area. But Einstein told me, told not me, <laughs> to the, the world, <laughs> including- Told me. us. Yeah, told us that, imagination is more important than knowledge. And the reason I'm saying it here, that's the key to success. That means knowledge is important. There are three types of knowledge, and I kind of uh, put it in my book, three spheres of knowledge. One sphere, which is very small in my case, what do you know? Then there is a, another sphere, what do you know that what you don't know? Like for example, I don't speak Russian. So I don't know, but I know the Russian exists. Then there is another sphere. I don't know what I don't know. And that is the biggest fear. But this Einstein statement, imagination brings all these fears into one. You can imagine, imagination is uh, boundless. So I would recommend anybody who is going into business, or anybody who wants to take a journey, think big and use imagination. Just wanted to make that statement.
0: No, that's a a great final piece of wisdom. Think big and use your imagination for sure. Thank you so much, Mohan. And thank you all for joining us here on Champions of Inspiration. We'll see you again at the next event. God bless.